but I, I don't know if you have someone like this in your life. There's there's someone in, in Camila and I's life that uh, has issues, has you know troubles. Like, well, I guess everybody has troubles, but this person always has like a new uh, salvation plan, like a new like culprit for all the problems in the, in her life, and um, and everything like it goes through the lens of this whatever the culprit is. So for a while, um, it was. Uh, emotional kind of like counseling kind of stuff and so she was really into counseling and everything that happened was about counseling and then actually she went through a, a demon phase where everything was a demon the, the problem with everything was you know was a demon like my husband lost his temper but that's a demon um, you know or the car broke down that's a demon and uh, most most recently it's uh, parasites she's moved on from demons to parasites uh, and literally like everything like oh you're angry that means you have a parasite you can't sleep that means you got a parasite like it's like everything has to do with your low energy that means you have a parasite the parasite's taking all your energy and uh, it's kind of exhausting to keep up with this person but the reason that I uh, I say that is because I think it shows a problem that a lot of us have which is that there's a somewhat of a, a gulf a gap uh, space between the the ways that we can kind of intellectually make sense of evil and the evil that we see in the world. Like we see evil out in the world, we see problems in the world that seem to that we seem to struggle to categorize them or to understand how like how they, how to fix them, where they come from, all that kind of thing. And as we look at the authority of Jesus, his, his he's king over everything. We're going to see that he has authority over evil, and uh, within that, we see the 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 incredible uh, brilliance and breadth of the Bible's treatment of evil. The Bible is by no means reductionistic or simplistic when it comes to evil, and, uh, and, and which is in some sense kind of scary, like evil is complex and beyond us. Uh, but the good news for us today is that Jesus has complete authority over, over evil. And I hope uh, for us today to be able to uh, just kind of enter into God's world, uh, God's reality. You know, we, we often try to go to the Bible and pull some things like into our world and what we think is right and true. Like maybe that'll help us. But in this area of like demon possession and spiritual evil and stuff, that's just real kind of outside our, our our normal way of thinking. I, my, my prayer is that we would um, that, that we would just let let Bible be true. Let let the Bible define reality and, and consider how we can enter into it. So let me pray for us, and then we'll uh, we'll get started. Father, come before you today, just rejoicing to call you Father, that we can behold you in your glory, we can see that we are unclean, and then we can just uh, be, be made clean through the blood of Jesus and saved to new life uh, with you as your children. And Fathers, we come before uh, the words of our King and Savior here. Uh, this, um, I just pray that you would, you would open our hearts to it. I pray, Father, that you would give us uh, give us the space and the the safety, the sense of safety to consider how we categorize evil and that we would uh, be able to put that uh, on the shelf and, and consider uh, what you say is true about evil and Jesus' authority over it. We just need you so much in these scary passages to, uh, to illuminate us by the power of your spirit. Uh, would you do that? Would you bless this time we've set aside for the preaching of the word? In Jesus' name, amen. All right. Well, let's dive in here. Look at, uh, if you have your Bibles, grab to uh, turn to Matthew 8, uh, page 1508 in the Pew Bible is where we're going to be. And again, with stuff as crazy as demons, I think it's really important that you see that I'm not making this up. This is not just uh, uh, something that, that, that I think we should talk about, but it's just in the scripture, so we're going to talk about it. 
So Matthew 8, 1508. Just read the first verse of our section here, verse 28. When he arrived on the other side in the region of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men came from the tombs to meet him. They were so violent that no one could pass that way. So a couple of things we see right away. First, to kind of put this story in the context of the narrative arc that Matthew has been showing us the last few weeks, uh, Jesus did a bunch of miracles, uh, and he was tired. And he said, let's get in a boat and leave and go go to a, a barren place, go to a place where there's no people. I need a break. So just like if you're an introvert, just know Jesus needed space from people too. Uh, he does that teaching about, hey, come follow me. There's a storm. Man, can't get a break. They're tired, get into a boat, then there's a big storm. They finally get to the other side, and they're not met with this tranquil you know, woods to rest in. The two violent demon-possessed guys come and confront Jesus. A couple things that are interesting about this passage. This is another uh, story from Jesus' life that is in uh, all three of the fancy word synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, all have this story. In Matthew's version of the story, Matthew's like account, what he choose, chooses to include is just like really, really curious. It's really, really short. He leaves out a lot of details that the other guys uh, bring in. Uh, and, and I think he, he's showing, because Jesus only says one word in this passage. He just says, go, be, you know, be gone, that, that will get there. Uh, and so really what he's showing us when it comes to evil, uh, one, the reality of it, but he's also show, showing us um, how evil responds to, to Jesus, how evil responds to Jesus. Matthew's very focused on how people respond to Jesus and showing us the way, different way people respond to him. The first thing we see is that they're demon-possessed men. Like, just to state, state the obvious. Uh, I don't know what your exposure has been to demon possession in real life or the media. If you have a story, I'd love to hear it. But, of course, in movies, it's just the stuff that horror movies are made out of. Uh, it seems like a, a lot of uh, horror movies are going that direction, right? Because it's, it's, a, it's a fear of a power you know, beyond, outside, that we can't explain, that we're vulnerable to. And... <clears throat> Typically, I would say uh, most of us operate like we're kind of past that, right? We, we operate like the, the, the friend that I told you about where it's, it's the parasites or it's the counseling or it's the, you know, you need more kale or, you know, whatever. Like you, you, we try to deal with problems like, you know, and we're rational, scientific, modern people. Like, we, you know, we're not talking about, talking about demons. But I think it's important for us to take a hot second and just acknowledge that, that demons are real. The Bible would tell us that demons are real. Uh, a, couple, a couple concepts behind this. Uh, to define demon, if you will, uh, would be a, a personal, a supernatural personal evil, which would be like kind of over and against God being a personal, a supernatural personal good. And so the, the idea is that it's supernatural, it's beyond the natural realm, and it's personal. It's not just like an evil force, you know, or whatever, but they're like centered on kind of these spiritual beings, and, it's, and they're all bent at evil. There's not like nuance there. They're like all about destruction and evil over and against God's way and God's, God's kingdom. And it's really easy to ignore them because they're weird and scary. Uh, no one wants to talk about them. It's way easier to talk about a supernatural personal good like God who's loving than it is to talk about evil. But what I want to propose to you here, when we talk about having categories for evil, making sense of the evil we see in our world, that I would think most of us are way more simplistic. Most of us are way more reductionistic than Scripture is. 
in our modern elitism, if you will, or snobbery, if you will, uh, we can say like, oh, well, back then they didn't have the science. So they didn't know about mental health, so they just blamed it on a demon. They didn't know about illness, so they blamed it on a demon, uh, you, whatever, whatever the issue was. But what we see in scripture is that there's lots of different categories. It's very broad for areas where evil can come from or where problems can 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 exist because it's really easy to think like evil is from a lack of knowledge you know if we just educated people more then we wouldn't have it or it's physical issues if we ate better then it, it, it wouldn't be there if we had more mental illness or drugs or whatever and you see how the solutions to our evils are going to follow whatever categories you work with so if you think in just a purely natural sense like what we see is all that there is the the rules of nature and science like that is all that is there's nothing above and beyond that, then if you have an issue, then like there's got to be a scientific chemical reason for it, right? So we'll give you a drug. Like you can't focus, we'll give you a drug. You, you can't, you know, whatever it is, you can't sleep, we'll give you a drug. And do you see how, even though that's assumed to be broad and scientific and intellectual or grounded in reason, it's actually like really limiting because you're saying there can't be any other areas. There, can, there can't be any other solutions. And the, the clearest way that we see this, if you flip over a couple pages, to Matthew chapter 4. This was so fascinating to me to see this this week. Matthew chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus kicking off his earthly ministry, and he's going around preaching the good news of the kingdom. And look at verse 24. News about him spread all over Syria, and, and people were brought to him who were ill with various diseases, suffering from severe pain, demon possession, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. So we have all the, like, the Bible takes pains to name these different things that Jesus was addressing. It wasn't saying that he was, like, casting out all the, the you know, the flu demons from everybody or, you know, like, the, the paralyzing demons. Like, there, there are categories, and demon possession is a specific category. If you, the, the word for having seizures in the Greek is uh, moonstruck. I thought that was funny. Uh, it's like if you literally translate it, it would be like he was healing the moonstruck. And so like you see in, in ancient times that they really weren't that like back, backwards in their thinking. Like they had a category for uh, mental illness. And, um, and it's translated here seizures. Uh, but we see in, in scripture that there's, there's just a lot of categories. We see the physical with illness. We see a spiritual with demon possession. We see a mental illness with the, moon, the moonstruck. Uh, idea we see like injury from paralysis and like you know suffering in the world, and I hope th- I hope this is helpful. I hope you can just think about this for a minute and it's like what what ways do you reduce you know reduce the evil in the world? Like oh well, if everybody just got on this board with this political agenda, you know that that will be the solution. The problem is that they don't understand or the the fake news or. Whatever, and, and even, you know, something that I think is really valuable, counseling or therapy, unless it's, like, rooted in the gospel, you know, all it can really do is just show you your problems, you know, like, you, you, your, your therapist will, like, walk you through all your issues in your past, and then be you're like, wow, I'm really messed up, what do I do? And they'll be like, what do you think? Like, you know, like, they don't have any answers, right? Because, like, they, they, there's, not a, there's not a whole lot of redemption a, apart, from, apart from the gospel. What we see here in this passage, is that there's um, evil inside of us. Like, we're, we're, evil isn't just out there. There's, like, we're broken inside. Like, we do things that cause our pain and affliction. There's evil outside of us. Like, evil comes at us. 
Um, and then what we're talking about today is that there's evil above us. There's evil beyond us. There's evil outside the, the natural realm. And so we're, th those are all the categories. I'm talking about all those categories today. I just wanted to kind of like give us a map of the categories for understanding evil and see that I think there's a lot of hope. There's a lot of freedom for us if we can kind of give some, uh, some weight or at least acknowledge that the category of uh, a spiritual evil is, is out there. So that's kind of the, the idea, the concept of spiritual evil. Let's look at the nature of spiritual evil. We're looking at these, uh, these demonized guys, which is kind of the, the main thing to, to know when you look at demon possession and, and scripture. Uh, again, the, the original word in the Greek there is demonized. It's an adjective. They said de demonized men uh, came uh, to, to Jesus. And because a lot of times we think there's demon possession where you're just like, you know, tweedly, they're walking down the street completely yourself, and then bam, you know, demon comes and possesses you. And so, you know, if your head isn't spinning around in circles, then you're not demon possessed, and this passage doesn't apply to you. But the, the biblical concept when it comes to demons' interaction with us as humans is that it's a, it's a gradual demonization. I don't say that right. You be, we become demonized gradually. which while it's helpful to see this truth in scripture, it's, it's, not, it's not a super cozy truth. We'll get to the cozy truth at the end, uh, but in, in Mark's account of this passage, uh, he talks about how they would bind these men because they were violent, they were a public nuisance. Like they had completely shut off this one part of the land because they were so violent, and so they were binding them with shackles and chains, and it said uh, they couldn't be bound anymore. Like they had grown progressively stronger in the demonization process to where like they're they have like supernatural strength, like they're they're breaking, breaking their their bound their their uh, their bonds. So when it comes to demons and demonization, if you will, uh, it's not a question of uh, yes or no. It's a question of quantity or degree. To what degree are we influenced and controlled by evil? And one of the just really chilling things about studying this idea of demonization and, and looking through some verses that I really like, but I always like, you, you, you ever do that where you like read a verse a bunch of times and you just, there's one part you just never think about, you know, you just kind of like blaze over and you're like, hey, yeah, let's just look at the, the part that I get. And I want us to look, look at one. Uh, we look at like, how might one gradually become more demonized? Like, like what, what, is it, what does that actually mean? What, what does scripture talk about when it comes to that? Flip over to Ephesians. Five. Make sure I got the, um, the verse numbers. I got the wrong ones. Hang on. Let me find it. Oh, Ephesians 4. Sorry. Ephesians 4, verses 26 and 27. This is crazy. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Whoa! Like the Bible just connected anger and bitterness at people with the devil, with giving a, a space for us to become more demonized. So in this sense, Hollywood isn't helping us out because we think, you know, like green vomit or head spinning around or levitation or whatever. And, and the Bible's saying, like, no, demonization happens when we let bitterness take root in our heart. When, when we let anger, when we kind of give ourselves over to anger, it says that's giving the devil 
a foothold. And just for time's sake, we won't go there. But in 1 Timothy, he does the same thing with pride. He, he, warns, uh, he warns against putting people in leadership in church too much because they'll get prideful and give the devil a foothold. And so th- these are like really staggering realities, like things that we, you know, we all struggle with, like anger and bitterness and pride. And you can see even just like, we'll just stick with bitterness and anger for, for our purposes. Like you get angry at someone often for good reason. Like they really hurt you, right? Like, like there was evil done to you that makes you angry. And so we see the, ingle, the evil from, from without, right? But then we have the, the evil from within that would maybe uh, harbor it, fixate on it. And then you have the evil above that uses that and keeps you there. There's some kind of influence on your life with that bitterness that can grow. And think about, think about where the train of bitterness ultimately goes. Like if you were to just get, become bitter at someone or multiple people and just not fight it your whole life for 80 years, like, like what, what is your life going to look like if bitterness has just been allowed to go un, untouched for decades and decades? Like, you're going to be alone. You're going to be angry. You're going to be miserable. It's going like, to be like demon possession. You're going to be talking to yourself. You're going to be having fights with people from 40 years ago, and you're going to be like a crazy person. Why? Just because this, like, little stronghold of bitterness, like, wasn't dealt with in, in, in the gospel. So I hope you can see that this idea of uh, demonization is something that's like a real threat to all of us. Like none of us are immune from just those two examples of pride and pride and anger. The the other uh, nature of evil is that it has to do with empowerment and, and enslavement. You think about a little bit like the deal with the devil, you know, like uh, all, like the story of Faust, which has been played out in media over and over and over again. And honestly, I think those movies are super fascinating, like Bedazzled, the one with Brandon Fraser from a long time ago, um, where you, you make a deal with the devil and you get something, like for a temporary time, like the first, the first half of those movies is the most fun, right? Because you know, they get what they get what they want. Uh, but then you become enslaved, like there's this like nasty back end. And you can kind of see that, uh, again, looking at Mark's account, where they're, like, super strong to some degree. Like, they have some kind of supernatural strength with whatever is going on with their demonization. Uh, But they're, like, crying. They're also crying out and screaming and cutting themselves and kind of, like, hating themselves and and living in fear. So you see that that both and, and that this kind of, like, deal with the devil. At the end of the day, what this means for us, we look at this story, is that, demonization also happens when something else something becomes our master we look we look to something to give us power and then it ends up controlling us we look to something to give us control and then it ends up controlling us so a, a, an example of this would be work or like success You're like i what I, you know, what I want is to feel good about myself, feel significant, and so I'm going to uh, sell my soul to work. That, that's going to be the, the driving thing, and, and then you get to where you're enslaved to that, where you, like, you can't let go, where work now controls you, and everything in your life falls to the wayside and is hurt. And in this sense, maybe bringing up Faust is not the most helpful, because it very rarely looks like you just are drinking your coffee one morning, and the devil shows up and be like, what would you like me to do for you? And you make it, you know, you shake hands with the devil. Because again, we got to keep this in, 
in, in the framework of demonization. You know, it, it happens slowly over these little decisions every day where, where we're like, look, we're kind of giving control over to something. And you can think about, you know, no one, you like some like rich, grizzled old man at the end of his life with, you know, estranged kids and no, no spouse and no, you know, no friends who's like worked, but, you know, is on top of his empire or whatever. Like you can, you can imagine like, well, I didn't mean to neglect my kids. I didn't mean to abandon my wife. I don't, I'm not like anti-friends, you know, it's like, it's, it's never like an intention. You just kind of were giving yourself over to one thing and then it, and it caused disintegration. It caused your life to, to fall apart and not thrive. So we consider this idea of demonization. Consider what, what do we give ourselves over to? Not just belief. Like, yeah, I know. I, I believe Jesus is God. He died for my sins. But like on a practical level, like a, the, the, that shapes our decisions throughout each day. And uh, what, what shapes our habits? You know, is it money or security? Because none of us are going to say like, you know what, I really want to be safe, and I don't care if I have no friends. You know, like, n- nobody would, like, probably say that out loud. Like, if I- I'm okay with no one ever knowing me or having no friends to hang out with as long as I'm safe. But then the habits and the choices, like, kind of day by day can kind of shape us to where we're in our fortress of solitude. And we really are safe. We have, like, plenty of money and a great security system and, and, and no friends. And this is not to say that we, like, choose whether or not we lose control. It's to say what we lose control to, like what we become enslaved to. Because if you're not dealing with Jesus, you're dealing with the devil. If we're we're not becoming more under Jesus' authority and giving him control of our lives, like, we're we're probably dealing with, with, with the devil. What do we lose control over? The last part, we're looking at the na- nature of evil, nature of demonization, is isolation. We kind of hinted at that with the security thing. But you can think about anything that you would give yourself control over, uh, control over you is going to destroy your ability to relate to other people because they're just going to be a means to that end, right? Like if you give yourself over uh, to work, then you're going to neglect relationships. If you give yourself over to beauty, you're going to ne- neglect relationships and in, in pursuing and pursuing beauty. If you give yourself over to approval, then people are just a means to that end, right? Like, to the degree to which you approve of me is the degree to which I will spend time with you. You see that in uh, these men being in the tombs. It says they, they came out of the tombs. And in this culture, nobody would have gone to the tombs, except like if there was like a funeral or whatever. This isn't like, you know, they're manicured grass and you might go for a for a walk in a cemetery or whatever they were like scary awful places and so you see these men have been so demonized to where they've been like they don't actually live with people in town anymore like they live out amongst dead people and it said the tombs there kind of had like two rooms there was like an outer room where like any ceremonies would have been held and then the room where the bodies actually were so you can kind of picture these guys like living in that front room of some tomb with like dead bodies on the other side of the wall surrounded by other tombs uh, super strong and just like screaming and crying out and attacking people that come. Like this is like, this is like a picture of hell, like hell on earth, the complete isolation. And the last thing about the nature of evil is uh, that it's based in lies. Look at verse 29. 
They, the demon, demonized guys, they say, what do you want with us, son of God? They shouted, have you come here to torture us before the appointed time? Now, what this shows us is, one, they're talking. Like, this is not the, as far as we know, this is the, the, the men talking. The demons talk in just a minute. Um, and they go to Jesus, and they have, they have good theology. Like, they call him the son of God. Uh, but they're terrified that he's going to torment them. Like, the, the lie of the enemy is that, is, is that what? That God really isn't good. We see this all the way back into the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. The, the, the tempter comes and said, like, did God really say that? Are you really going to die? He's just saying that because he doesn't want you to become like him. And so we see demonization again. It's not this, like, big, scary Hollywood kind of thing. It's just this, like, subtle lie about who God is. And then you see that there's, there's some truth in that. Like, they call him the Son of God, which is true. Jesus is the Son of God. And it's true that he will judge the wicked and that there will be justice for the wicked. But the, the lie of, of Satan is that happiness and the good life is over here and holiness is over here. Like, you can either be happy or you can be holy, but you have to pick. And so these men come to Jesus saying, like, I picked happy. Of course, it's not working out for them. I know I'm not holy. Like, don't, don't kill me. Don't kill me yet. You see that this is connecting it to isolation. This is theologically correct, but relationally incorrect. It's like misunderstanding who God, who God is. And Jesus tells the woman at the well, uh, there, will come a, there will come a day when true worshipers of me worship in spirit and in truth. And I think this, this, this parallel is just so fascinating to me. Uh, you can see the way of Jesus being spirit and truth and the way of the devil being isolation and lies. If you think of spirit, it's like the presence of God with us and the presence of God with us as we spend time with his people. Like we worship in spirit. Where does the spirit of God dwell with his people? We worship in truth, like what, what God is actually like from scripture. And then you see the way of Satan is, is to attack each one of those things. He wants to isolate us and he wants to lie about who God is. Like, could we just take a, take a hot second to reflect and, and, and be honest? Like, what is it that, and, and think through the three, three points of, of evil. One, that it's broad, it's inside us, it's outside us, it's above us. Which one do you into, lend to the most? I think in our culture, we, we, we default to outside. Because we, we don't really, we get spooked by the supernatural and we're doing the best we can, but it's the evil out there. And then consider what our habits are giving ourselves over to. What, what, are, what are our daily habits giving ourselves over to? What are we giving control over to? And then consider the degree to which isolation and lies play into your life. And I think those things very, very much go in hand, hand in hand. It can be really hard to cling to truth by yourself. When there's, when there's demonization going on, when you have the tempter and the deceiver whispering thoughts to you. Next, let's look at the demons. Verse 30 and 32. Some distance from them, a large herd of pigs was, was feeding. The demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out into the... 
to drive us out, send us into the herd of pigs. He said to them, go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and died in the water. Here we get to some of the good news. When we see the demons, when the demons speak, they're begging Jesus. They're at the mercy of our King and Savior. Praise God for that. All the scary stuff we just talked about um, is under the subjection of our King, Jesus. The reality of supernatural evil is there, but we see Jesus has authority over it. Another story in Scripture that shows us this is the story of Job where uh, it says Satan goes before God, and God, this is crazy, God's like, have you checked out Job? He's awesome. He, he's one of my main, main men. And Satan's like, well, let me at him, and then, then he'll curse you. And you see, Satan can't do anything to Job until God allows it and gives, and gives permission. You see this all the way from the, the beginning of the Bible, where there's the first, the first kind of projection of the gospel uh, where it talks about how Satan will bite Jesus' heel, but he will crush Satan's head. Uh, you think about, like, uh, the, the, the switch there. Like, Jesus was killed on the cross. That, that's reduced to, like, a heel bite. And then Satan will ultimately be destroyed. So there's all kinds of evil. It's above us. It's beyond us. It's in us. We can know the categories of evil. We can help that, like, let, it, let that help us come to to conclusions about, about how we deal with things, but ultimately Jesus is over it all. Now, the pigs are really confusing. Nobody knows what's going on with the pigs. Like, why did they go to the pigs? Why, if they went to the pigs, why didn't they just stay in the pigs instead of, like, run into the water? Because then they would still have to find another home. Like, what was, what was the point of that? And uh, nobody knows the exact reason, but I think we see a couple, a couple realities that can help us. One is that demons destroy, period. Like, there's a lot of common grace that keeps us from being destroyed all at once. And we see that, like, presumably the pig's not having any protection. The demons just, like, kill him right away. Like, that's what, that's what Satan would do to all of us all the time. He just would destroy everything. He's a destroyer. That's what he does. Like, there's not, like, oh, you know, it's just a different brand of flourishing or something like that. No. Demons destroy Spiritual evil destroys. The gradations that we see of demonization really are a mercy to us, giving us a chance to repent and turn from them. The second thing, and this is kind of the, the prickly side of uh, the good news of Jesus' authority over evil, is that when Jesus comes and removes evil, uh, we don't really have a say how it works or how it looks like. It oftentimes comes at a cost. Jesus removing evil comes at a cost of, of, of something less. Like it might come at the cost of work and not moving up as, as much. Like if you're going to be freed from enslavement to success. Like what if you were able to sleep at night knowing that, in, that God is pleased with you right now. Like you don't have to eat the bread of anxious toil. That God's happy with you right now in Christ. Like might that take some of your like overworking superpower climbing the corporate ladder and change that. So we don't really have a we don't really have a choice on how Jesus takes away evil because he's Lord, because he has the authority. Like if we want to come to him as our master instead of something else, then we got to let him be our master. 
The second thing we see here um, is that the worth of these men, the human souls of these men, is worth this whole herd of pigs. I think it's Mark or Luke, one of them, says, puts the, the herd count at 2,000. 2,000 pigs. Like, we think, like, oh, the poor pigs died. But in, they weren't really that sentimental back then. They would have said, like, this is, like, our town's livelihood. Like, there would have been an entire, like, economic structure around this huge herd of pigs. And Jesus clearly shows us the priority that, like, human souls are more valuable than our stuff, than, than anything else that we, would, that we would cling to. That brings us to the crowds. Look at verse 33 and 34. Those p- tending the pigs ran off, went into the town, and reported all this, including what had happened to the demon-possessed men. Then the whole town went out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave their region. So we've been keeping this idea of the crowds in front of us as we consider following Jesus. Uh, We have the categories we have are people that were openly against Jesus. We have disciples who left everything to follow him. And then we have the crowds that are just kind of the peanut gallery. And Matthew shows us uh, another, another peanut gallery here. And they came out, and there's a little bit more of a dialogue. We, we get a little more information in the other accounts of this story in the Gospels. And Matthew's very short, and I think that's on purpose. He says, when they saw him, they pleaded with him to leave. The end. And so what we see here is that the crowds are kind of over and against the demon-possessed men enslaved to the pigs, like enslaved to their, 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 their work, their way of providing for themselves. Matthew uses the same word when he looks at the, the demons begged Jesus, if you drive us out, send us in the herds. And then uh, in the original language, it says the crowd begged him to leave. We have like the demons and the crowd doing the same thing to Jesus. So they, they came to these two men that they lived in fear of, that they, they avoided at all costs because he was violent. They see, they see them healed, and they just say, Jesus, leave. <laughs> like, you, you've done enough. Just leave. Luke, in his account, says that the crowds were scared. What were they scared of? Well, I think this shows us what it means... Uh, part of the reality of coming to Jesus is that it is a little scary. The, the most classic example of this is Aslan. What do they say about Aslan in the Chronicles of Narnia? Is he safe? Well, no, he's not safe, but he's good. Spoiler alert, Aslan represents Jesus, if you read those books. I don't know if anyone's discovered that yet. I just came across that. Sorry, my uh, iPad has a demon in it right now. So what this shows us is that there's, there's a reality of coming to, coming to Jesus where we're attracted to him, but we're also like really scared. Like we're also terrified. That it, we're, we're not really seeing Jesus if there isn't a little bit of that, like I'm approaching an incredibly huge lion that could bite my head off in one chomp. Because Jesus is going to come for whatever other thing that we've been enslaving ourselves to. Like, they're, they're can't, they, we can't serve two masters. So he's going to come for that other master. And that's, going to, and that's going to be scary. And I think you see this over and over and over in Scripture. People are attracted to Jesus. They want to be near him. They're fascinated by him. 
His followers, even though they barely understood anything, like want to follow him and are sad when he talks about leaving. But he's going to take our normal and he's going to change it to be structured around him and, and, and his rule. But I think we can slip into the kind of crowd mentality, which is like, I'll, I'll, I'll follow, like I believe in Jesus and stuff, but I'm not going like to get fanatical about that. See, I would take someone who's like, I really like Jesus, but I don't know. Like, I'm really scared. That seems like someone who's on a trajectory to, like, to really see him and follow him. Someone who's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've always gone to church, and yeah, Jesus is great. Yep, I, I, he's the love of my life, and, you know, but let's not get too, too, you know, too crazy about it. Because Jesus is going to come for our other master. He's going to take our normal. And, and if we can just acknowledge that one of the, the crazy parts about being human, about this confusing part about being a human, is that we'll stick with something that we don't like, that we hate, even like a form of suffering, just because like changing is scarier than, than what we know. Like, you know, the, like the, the example of like the woman married to an alcoholic who beats her and she won't leave. It's like, well, this is bad, but I know this kind of bad. It's scary to think about being on my own. Like, this is where I live. This is where I belong. This is, where, this is, this is my normal. I, it's terrible, but this is my normal. And Jesus com- comes to us, and all of us are like that, are, are like that Stockholm Syndrome woman. Like, this is my normal. This, I, I don't like it, but it's my normal. And, and it's a question of can we, by faith, can we have the courage to let go of our other master and receive a new normal? where Jesus tells us how to live. Even when he says things like, you have to love me more than your kids. You have to love me more than money. You have to love me more than comfort. That, th- those things are scary to let go of. Like, don't let anyone tell you that following Jesus is easy or there's no, there, there, there's no fear involved. So I just have a couple questions for us here. In conclusion, to what degree are our daily habits bringing us more and more in, into life with Jesus, under the rule of Jesus? Like, submission to Jesus doesn't happen, like, at a showdown at the altar or when someone puts a gun to your head and asks if you believe in Jesus. Like, it, it happens uh, hundreds of times a day as we live, live our life. These little decisions form our habits, and it's, it's giving ourselves over to that. So just consider, like, what, what are your little decisions? What are your habits? Uh, which, which authority are they bringing you under? Is it your own authority? Is it the authority of comfort, of your boss? And then if we're thinking about true worshipers worshiping in spirit and truth, to what degree is, is your life marked by the spirit, the spirit of God and, and his people? To what degree is isolation your reality, or to what degree do you press into the spirit, communing with God and communing with his people. And then, and then truth. To what degree is your life marked by truth? Like, it's a safe place to as- assume that anything you watch on TV is not influenced by the values of Jesus' kingdom, uh, which is a, a politically correct way of saying, like, is formed by lies. Like, it, it's showing you a reality or a goodness that is not actually true that isn't actually the, the way to life and we watch tv and movies like i'm not saying get rid of your tv i'm just saying uh to what degree is your mind and heart shaped by the word of god by truth uh versus 
what, what you see on TV or on your Facebook feed. You know, like your Facebook feed isn't inerrant. Like some people put untrue things on there or uh, memes that are just jokes and not real life. Um, we, we, to what degree is our life shaped by the word of God? Jesus says, uh, this is such good news. He says, if you abide in my word, you will be my disciples. He doesn't, say, he doesn't even say read my word. He says abide in it, like live in it, like soak in it. Get it all up in, in you, like let it be the air you breathe. And he said, if you do this, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Matthew 8, 31, if you want to check that verse out. But I think it's a great summary of what we're working with in, in demonization. The, the gradual of giving yourself over to whatever seems good on TV compared to being set free from that enslavement through truth. Which is what one of the helpful ways to do that is you could read through Matthew with us together. Anybody else feeling like the prickliness of Jesus this past week, like reading through Matthew? Like, dang, that dude was not going easy on us. Uh, you just like read it a couple of times and you're just like, really? But we go to that in faith, uh, knowing that it will set us free, that that's the way, that's the way to life. So consider to what degree is your life shaped by truth. And here's some good news. Jesus isn't safe, but he's good. And we know that he's good because he was isolated and abandoned and nailed to a cross. And the pain, of of pain and abandonment that we deserve because of our sin, that was, put, that was put on Jesus. We know that he's for us because he went through what these demonized guys were. Like he, he experienced the wrath of God. He was abandoned by the love of the Father. He was isolated and he was stuck to a cross, and he was placed in a tomb just like these guys were. Not only is he just good, but we see that he rose again uh, to new life, providing that new life to us. So not only is he good, but he's powerful. He's not just like a sad chump that took the hit for us, but he rose again to the throne, and we can submit to him and, feel, and experience the good life in him. Let me pray.